Hi, everyone. This is Podcast for Patients with the Aplastic Anemia and MDS International Foundation, and I'm Alice Hauck, Senior Director of Health Professional Programs. Our podcast series is brought to you thanks to generous support from patients, families, and caregivers like you, and a grant from Celgene. Thanks, everyone, for supporting the series. Today, we're talking about the recent approval of Lustatercept with Dr. Amit Verma, Director of the Division of Hematologic Malignancies and a Professor of Oncology at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York City. Welcome, Dr. Verma. Thank you, Alice. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you explain the role your lab played in discovering the pathway for Lusbatercept? Yes. Uh, we, we have a lab that works in myelodysplastic syndromes and aplastic anemia. Uh, we are located at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine. And a few years ago, we started working on identifying the pathways that make the bone marrow in these diseases uh, work not as well as it's supposed to. So as you know, and as a lot of our patients know, the main problem uh, for a lot of patients with aplastic anemia and MDS are the low blood counts. So the question is, why doesn't the bone marrow make enough cells, enough red cells, uh, uh, properly in these patients' bone marrows? And we made the discovery that there is a protein called SMAD, spelled as S-M-A-D, that this protein is very heavily activated in, in the bone marrows of patients with MDS and in some cases, aplastic anemia. And we were able to show in a series of experiments and published papers that when the SMAD protein is high and it's activated, it prevents the stem cells from becoming red cells in a proper manner. So when you have very high levels of this protein, it causes anemia to happen. And this new drug, Losbatercept, that's recently been approved by the FDA, inhibits this protein, inhibits this pathway. This pathway is also known as uh, the TGF, transforming growth factor pathway. And this drug inhibits certain growth factors that belong to this TGF family from binding to the stem cells and activating the SMAD pathway. So simply put, you can think of losbatercept as an inhibitor of the SMAD protein activation. And that's what we showed uh, uh, in our lab, and we showed that when you block this SMAD pathway, the TGF pathways, you have better production of red blood cells. So just to summarize, Lusbatercept is the new drug that's approved. Lusbatercept blocks the activation of the SMAD pathway. Lusbatercept blocks the certain members of the TGF pathway. And when you do that, you have better production of red blood cells in the bone marrow. And so this drug leads to higher hemoglobins, higher red blood cell counts. And a lot of that initial lab-based discovery work was done in our lab. 
That's wonderful to hear. And we uh, at AMDSIF, we've supported some of the work in your lab with grantee, uh, one of your colleagues, Britta Will, and we certainly have been following that progress. So we appreciate the, the research that's been done there and appreciate how long it can take, but it can lead to wonderful discoveries like, like Luspatercept. Tell us which MDS patients are most likely to benefit from Luspatercept. Uh, Alice, uh, firstly, I do want to reiterate that your support and uh, support from others, foundations and NIH, has been extremely instrumental in supporting the basic research we have done. Uh, you know, Britta is a close collaborator, and she was working on these pathways with us. So we truly appreciate your your support, and that has really led to uh, this work uh, coming uh, to fruition in the clinic. Okay, so back to the question. So which MDS patients are most likely to benefit? When they did the trial, the big phase three trial uh, in the US and other parts of the world, they included patients with MDS with the type of MDS called RARS. The full form is refractory anemia with ringed sideroblasts. This is a subtype of MDS, which belongs into low or intermediate risk MDS. So MDS can be lower risk or higher risk, and we call it lower or higher risk based on the, the risk of transforming to a full-blown acute leukemia. So RARS generally is of the lower risk subtype, and uh, why we call it as ring sideroblast is when we look at the bone marrow, we, we see that this type of MDS has a very unique appearance on the bone marrow slides. Um, the, the, you can find a ring of small iron deposits. That's why it's called ring sideroblast. So that's a very technical way of, way of identifying this particular MDS. But that's the, the patients with MDS that were treated with Lospatercept in the phase three clinical trial. It was called the Medalist trial that was recently published in the New England Journal. We were one of the participating sites in addition to all major centers in the US. And um, there is now uh, another trial which is now evaluating the use of Lospatercept in other subtypes of MDS, not just RARS. Uh, and we will know the results of this trial relatively soon. But for the moment, um, RARS subtype is the one that has been shown to derive the most benefit from Luspatercept. And what type of treatment were those patients that now will benefit from Luspatercept? What might they have been receiving as treatment prior to this? So that's a great question. MDS generally does not have too many FDA-approved therapies. Luspatercept is actually the first therapy uh, approved for treatment of MDS after 14 years. And unfortunately, we only have three different drugs that are FDA-approved for the treatment of MDS. Two of them are very similar. They are Dacogen and Vidaza, uh, basically very similar drugs. Uh, which are generally used more for the treatment of high-risk MDS. Uh, there is also this drug called Revlimid or lenalidomide that has been approved for treatment of MDS, specifically those 
that have deletion of chromosome 5. That's about 8 to 10% of all MDSs. Then in some cases, we use growth factors like EPO, erythropoietin, or RNS, but that's about it. So, so coming back to your question, most patients who get anemia, uh, we try erythropoietin, EPO, or RNS, and if they do not work or if they stop working after a little bit of time, we rely on transfusions. So these patients, a lot of them are on regular transfusions, red blood cell transfusions. And unfortunately, we don't really have too many other things to offer. And now that Lospatercept is approved, the hope is that some of these patients that are dependent on transfusions will be able to increase their hemoglobin on the drug and will be able to avoid needing these red blood transfusions so frequently. Are there any risks to receiving frequent uh, blood transfusions and uh, uh, also benefits to becoming transfusion independent? That's a very good question. The, the major risk is the risk of uh, iron overload. So our bodies have uh, mechanisms to, to collect and store iron, but they unfortunately don't have a mechanism to excrete excess of iron. And every time a patient gets a transfusion of red blood cells, they also get uh, a big dose of iron because the red blood cells contain hemoglobin, which has a lot of iron. So when you're getting repeated transfusions, there is a overload and excess of iron that builds in your body. That iron overload can lead to damage in certain organs like the heart, like the liver, like the pancreas. And so iron overload can, over the course of time, lead to decreased heart function, can lead to decreased liver function, and uh, is generally not a good thing to have. So that is one risk of getting repeated transfusions. The other risk, uh, it's not really a risk and inconvenience, is that patients need to get uh, blood counts done, get type and cross done in the, in the transfusion area. And then the next day they'll come and sit for four to eight hours trying to get one to two units of blood. So it's severely disruptive to their quality of life. They basically have to make a trip to the clinic every week or every two weeks. And it's a big quality of life uh, issue, getting these transfusions. There are also some rarer risks, you know, contracting diseases like hepatitis and all. But those were in the olden days. Nowadays, our blood banks are pretty good. So those are relatively less of a risk right now. I see. And you mentioned the successful Medalist clinical trial that uh, showed the efficacy of this, of loose patterset. Can you tell us about those trial results and why they were so promising? Absolutely. So this was a trial which was uh, recently published. Uh, this was uh, done uh, all over the world. And in this trial, it was a phase three trial. So patients were randomly assigned either to Luspatercept or a placebo. And uh, the, the endpoint uh, that, was, that was evaluated was the ability to get independence from transfusions. 
And uh, when we looked at the trial data, there were a total of 229 patients. They were enrolled, 153 got losfatercept, 76 got the placebo. When you compare both these groups, we found that 38% of the patients that received losfatercept became transfusion independent. And this was in comparison to 13% in the placebo group. So this was a quite a significant difference, 13% versus 38%. And this was the ability to not need any red transfusion for two months or eight weeks. So that was the big endpoint that, that led to FDA approving this drug. There were also some secondary endpoints that also looked good. Uh, these included, you know, higher percentage of patients in the losfatercept group that, that had increases in hemoglobin uh, and also the, the duration of the effect was significantly higher in, in the losfatercept group compared to the placebo group. Overall, we also look at uh, side effects. You know, drugs are not innocuous. They come with side effects. And uh, we did not find any serious, we call them in technical terms, grade three or grade four, any increased, you know, serious side effects with, with the use of losfatercept. There were slight increases in fatigue. Uh, and a little bit of diarrhea, a little bit of nausea, but nothing that was that concerning uh, with the drug. So the, in a nutshell, that's the, the overall results from this trial. And are there any medical conditions that would preclude a patient from receiving losfatercept? It's a good uh, question. I don't think so. Uh, you know, patients with MDS are generally elderly. Um, you know, a lot of our patients do have underlying heart issues or diabetes or diseases that can accumulate with uh, age, but I don't believe there are any red flags that will preclude the use of losfatercept in these patients. And is losfatercept safe during pregnancy? That's a good question. We usually don't face this problem, at least in MDS, because like I said, most of our patients are, uh, you know, the, the age is not a, a reproductive age. I think that, uh, you know, it should be definitely used with caution in a pregnant situation because these drugs do affect other organ systems. So at this point, you know, I would be hesitant to use this in a pregnancy situation. I would avoid it. And are there any fertility concerns for women or men who would be receiving losfatercept? I'll have to look at the label to, to get the, the absolute technical answer, but I, I don't believe so. This drug was actually interestingly developed originally for osteoporosis. So when they gave this to volunteers, they found that the hemoglobin went up and uh, the development of this drug actually started happening in MDS and diseases with low blood counts like thalassemia. I don't believe uh, that it has any known fertility effects at the present time. Now, as the drug is used more and more and more trials are done, we might find something more 
in, in the next few years. But so far, I, to the best of my knowledge, I don't think it has any fertility concerns. And is Lospatercept approved for children? I know MDS is extremely rare in children, but is that has it been approved for children, or is that something that may be considered in the future? Um, it's a good point. Uh, it's very rare to get MDS in kids. Um, it is approved for the treatment of thalassemia, which is actually a disease that affects uh, children and adolescents. So, so. Technically, the drug is approved for pediatric and kid populations, but for thalassemia. For MDS, uh, it is generally, you know, it's, it's exceedingly rare to, to get uh, RARS, low-risk MDS in, in kids. You know, when kids do get it, it's more of a higher-risk MDS. I see. And finally, do you have any advice for uh, low-risk patients who are listening to this and wonder if Luspatercept is something that they should be inquiring about with their provider if they have not done so already? Yes, I think if uh, if we have uh, you know subjects or individuals that have been diagnosed with MDS who are requiring transfusions on a frequent basis. Uh, they should definitely inquire with their hematologist uh, whether they will be eligible to receive Luspatercept. Right now, the label is, uh, you know, for lower-risk MDS that are requiring transfusions, and the hematologist has to probably talk to their insurance to make sure that they get coverage for this, whether their type of MDS will, will qualify. And then I think it's definitely worth a shot because I know how tough transfusions are, getting these transfusions week after week. And if there is a drug with minimal side effects that has the ability to raise hemoglobin, I think it will be a very beneficial thing for a lot of our patients. Thank you, Dr. Verma. This is very encouraging news for so many of our patients, and we certainly appreciate the role that you and your colleagues there at, at Einstein and around the world have uh, contributed to this work and the development of this new treatment option for MDS. So thank you again for your time today. Yeah, thank you, Alice. Uh, thank you and your foundation for all the support over the last so many years. And uh, I look forward to being of any help uh, in the future. Wonderful. And thank you to everyone in our listening audience for joining us. You can find out more about bone marrow failure disease on our website at www.aamds.org, by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or by calling our helpline at 800-747-2820. Thank you again for joining us today.